Well, listen, we're, I want to talk today um, about the difference between Islamic eschatology and biblical eschatology. You're like, what? <laughs> I know. Uh, eschatology, the study of end times things. I referenced during the Q&A time that we did that our enemies are being driven by an ancient form of Islamic end times theology. They have ancient prophecies from the Quran and from other writings of, uh, and sayings of, the, of Muhammad and, uh, and, and his followers that were captured in uh, books that they called the Hadith. And this is driving not just the leaders of ISIS, but the leaders of Iran. And I want to unpack that for a bit and help you understand some of the things that they believe, why it's important to us, and then compare that to biblical eschatology. The idea, eschatology is not dangerous or wrong in and of itself, but the genocidal form of it is horrific. And, and so we need to unpack this. Uh, the Bible, do you know that 27% of the Bible is prophecy? 27%, one out of four verses is prophecy. Now, a lot of them have actually come to pass already. Obviously, all the messianic prophecies that deal with Jesus coming the first time, those have been uh, you know, fulfilled, but there is more coming, and God tells us things in advance, not to freak us out, but so that we are prepared for what's coming, and that we will live faithfully knowing these things are coming, knowing that God is sovereign, and he's in charge, and he's in control, and we don't have to worry, but we do need to be aware of these things and live differently because of these truths that God wants us to know. And if we avoid studying it or avoid teaching it, this is a big problem. And much of the church around the world is not teaching or studying Bible prophecy for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, some pastors don't understand it. They haven't studied it themselves or they, they feel like it's been sensationalized. And, you know, and that's true. A lot of people who teach Bible prophecy, they, they're nuts. I'm sorry, that, that, that's true. And, uh, you know, the websites that all look like they've been built at, at Area 51 in Roswell, New Mexico, and, you know, all the, all the sentences are in, you know, in capital letters and 42 exclamation points, and you're thinking, hey, hey, have some decaf. It's going to be okay. It just <laughs> relax a little, you know. So, unfortunately, people like this and the people who set dates and say, oh, Jesus is coming on May 21st and at 6 o'clock and then he doesn't come and then they say, oh, I miscalculated, I'm in October 21st and then he doesn't come. And <clears throat> this discredits uh, much of Bible teaching, uh, Bible prophecy teaching, meaning people, good people avoid the topics because they think, I don't want to be identified with those nuts. But look, there's people preaching the gospel Badly, falsely, also, we don't say, well, I'm not going to teach the gospel because there's some people who are false teachers. We say we better teach it more carefully and more clearly so that people know. This topic of eschatology is hugely important, especially now, especially with what's happening in our world as we get closer to the return of Christ. We've, the fact that I live in the state of Israel, the fact that there's an Israel, that's prophecy. For 2,000 years, only the Bible told us that Israel would be re prophetically reborn in the last days of history. Many people didn't believe it would happen. Even our many of our church fathers did not believe that Israel would literally, physically be reborn as a country. That Jews would literally return to the land of Israel. That they would literally rebuild the ancient ruins. People thought, that's ridiculous. That that's all metaphor. It's all, you know, analogies and all kinds of symbolism. And it's not going to really happen. It's happened. 
It's happened, and you have a chance to go visit there. And I just came from there, and I'm telling you, we are living in dramatic times. Those are some of the most dramatic end times prophecies that there are. And if those have come true, we can be assured that the rest is coming. So let's unpack this a bit and, 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 and determine what's the difference between Islamic eschatology, particularly what I call apocalyptic Islam, and biblical eschatology. Now, there's one key verse we need to start with, and that's John 10.10. 10. Uh, but I want you to, while I mention that, I want you to turn to Daniel 7, because that's where we're really going to open up and, and look at a passage in Daniel chapter 7. But John 10.10 10 is a verse not often mentioned when it comes to understanding Bible prophecy. Uh, certainly, we don't, you know, people don't tend to think about it in terms of Islamic eschatology. But this is why it's important. Jesus is talking about Satan. And Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay? In that one verse, we are exposed to the theology of the differences between Christ and Satan. Satan comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to bring life. Satan is the exact opposite of everything that Jesus is. Now, they're not equal. It's not an equal opposite, but it's opposite. Okay? You know, Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not able to do everything. He can't do hardly anything compared to Jesus. But he's trying to... to ruin everything that Jesus is doing. And it's important to understand that because when you study this apocalyptic Islamic eschatology, you begin to realize there are similarities to biblical eschatology. There are similarities, but they are really photographic negatives of each other. In other words, while they're similar, they're exactly opposite. And that's what we want to look at Primarily so we can, A, understand a little bit more about our enemy, something I hope, we got to pray that our government leaders and intelligence officials and others will better understand so they can protect us, uh, not just overseas, but we can see the people who buy into this ideology are killing people close to you. So this stuff matters. At the same time, we need to ask the Lord to draw us closer to understand who he is and what he's doing and what scripture teaches. So I was giving a speech in Jerusalem at something called the Jerusalem Leaders Summit uh, last fall, and it was a group of uh, European parliament members and some Israeli uh, leaders and different experts on national security topics and economic topics, and, and then me. So that felt a little bit like a, a, the old Sesame Street, you know, song that one of these things is not like the other, one of these things just doesn't belong. Anyway, they invited me and they asked me to, to teach on the difference between radical Islam and apocalyptic Islam. Okay, just radical Islam, they're trying to kill us, but they're trying to, the main goal was to attack us while apocalyptic Islam is trying to annihilate us. Radical Islam is trying to use violence to get us to leave the Middle East and North Africa. Apocalyptic Islam believes they're not trying to get us to leave a region, they're they believe they're trying to take over the whole world 
So you don't try to just get rid of or, or, or push the infidels out of the Middle East. You, you commit genocide and destroy them completely. Okay? This is, now, now let me be clear. There are 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. They all believe that the Messiah is coming, known as the Mahdi. They all believe that he will bring a kingdom called a caliphate. Okay? They believe that these things will all happen in the end of days and that they will all face the final judgment. Okay? Now, we believe these things similarly. Right? We, we believe the Messiah is coming. In our case, we believe he's coming back and that we're living in the end of days and that he'll, our Messiah will be a king and establish a kingdom, a global kingdom, and that we will all face a final judgment. So some people think, well, you know, what's the difference then? You're all a bunch of lunatics if you believe this. There's a difference. We are not killing anyone. We are not fomenting genocide. And apocalyptic Muslims are, but let me be clear. While all Muslims believe the first of the things I said, not all Muslims believe you need to use violence to get there. Not all Muslims believe you need to use genocide to bring about the Mahdi and the, and the Caliphate. This is a subset. Okay? <clears throat> the, the, the polling and social research indicates that about 90% of Islam, uh, people who follow Islam, are not driven by violent jihad beliefs. But between 7 and 10% are. Now, in a world of 1.6 billion Muslims, it's, it's encouraging to know that 90% aren't trying to kill us. That's good. <clears throat> but 10% would be 160 million people. If you put them all in the same country, the Islamic Republic of Radicalistan, this would be the ninth largest country on the planet. Okay? This would be half the size of the United States. So you can't say it's... it's insignificant. This is the pool from which the Iranians and the Islamic State are drawing their fighters. Okay? Now, you also have to understand that while radical Islam is a subset of all Islam, and apocalyptic Islam is an even smaller subset, what makes apocalyptic Islam important in our day, even though the numbers are small, is that these numbers control two nation-states, Iran and the Islamic State. We've never faced in all of human history one, much less two, nation-states whose leaders are driven by a genocidal form of eschatology. It's never happened. This is the moment that we face. And yet we have leaders who won't even acknowledge that we're dealing with radical Islam, even though while that's serious, it's not nearly as serious as people who want to commit genocide. Now, as I mentioned to the, in the summit that I spoke at in Jerusalem, it's not wrong to have an eschatology. Eschatology is not wrong. Genocidal eschatology is. Jews have an eschatology and Christians do. Let's look at a few of the passages that are important and, and sort of bring to life what Jews believe and what we as followers of Christ believe. <clears throat> Daniel Chapter 7 is one of the great messianic passages. Beginning in verse 13, the Hebrew prophet Daniel says, writes, I kept looking in the night visions, 
And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Later in the text, in verse 22, it talks about how the saints of the highest one take possession of the kingdom. It's also talking about someone who's resisting the saints, an anti-Messiah, an anti-Christ, who will be different from everyone else, who will devour the whole earth and crush it. He will speak out against the Most High. He will attack the saints in the last days. But his dominion will be taken away. The Antichrist dominion, verse 26, will be annihilated and destroyed forever. And then, verse 27, the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. See what's happening here? Jewish people who believe the Bible believe the Messiah is coming to establish a kingdom, a global kingdom. Now, the problem is that many Jewish people have abandoned God. Many of our team have abandoned the scriptures and no longer believe that an actual personal Messiah is coming. They are not even sure there's a God. Because of all the traumas we've faced, they feel maybe God doesn't exist. And if he exists, maybe he doesn't care for us. Rather than thinking, maybe it's us. Maybe we are not listening to God. Maybe we are not obeying God. And maybe we are being punished and chastised and in his mercy drawn back to God so we'd be blessed and not face all these traumas or at least face them alone. But, those, but, but Jews who do believe that this is where, where we get an understanding of the king and the kingdom. Now, the word Messiah in Hebrew is Moshiach. And Moshiach in Hebrew means anointed one. When you anoint a king, that, become, that person becomes an anointed one. Okay? And so the Jews have an understanding that the king is coming. That's, that's the whole concept of the Messiah. Right? Uh, Jeremiah Verse 23, or chapter 23, another place. <coughs> Excuse me. Jeremiah, chapter 23, uh, beginning in verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. 
See, Jewish scriptures, Jewish prophecy tells us a king is coming and he will be wise and he will be just and he will bring justice. He will make things right and he will, he himself is righteousness and he will reign the way we want. He's not running for office. He's not doing debates. He's not running attack ads. It's not full of partisanship. He's coming. And this was the great Jewish hope. And of course, Isaiah Isaiah 9, for example, right? For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given, right? And the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be the king and he will reign. And this is what we have all longed for in the Jewish world um, if we haven't drifted from him. Now, of course, as followers of Jesus, we see that Jesus came to fulfill these prophecies. But our team was confused because we were expecting a political leader, okay? We expected a king to come and liberate us and set up a global kingdom and make peace and righteousness. And so we were very confused by Jesus, okay? Let's look, for example, at Matthew chapter four. Well, even chapter three, in verse two, John the baptizer enters in the first century, enters the Israeli arena, and starts preaching. And what's his message? Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is close at hand. It's coming. And you need to get yourself right. You need to be baptized with water as evidence <coughs> that your heart is turning and getting focused on the coming of the one that God has sent or is sending. That was John's message. And people began to pay attention. And they began to to follow him and to, to be baptized. And then Jesus came. And what did Jesus preach? John chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter four, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. And what did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said the exact same thing that John said. John comes, he preaches, you better get right with God. The kingdom's coming. <clears throat> And in verse 12 of Matthew 4, it says, John's, I'm sorry, Jesus' ministry began when John was taken into custody. Okay? So once John's taken out of the picture, Jesus begins picking up the story and says, Repent, for the kingdom has come. It's, it's here, it's in your midst. And what happens next? Verse 23 Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. And proclaiming what? What was his message? The gospel of the kingdom. The good news that the kingdom had come. He's healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness among the people. People start thinking, hey, I think maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is our candidate. Maybe this is, maybe, maybe this is the team we should be on. Maybe this is the king we've been waiting for. Okay? He's preaching about the kingdom. He's doing all these miracles. And what happens in verse 24? The news about him spread throughout all of Syria. Wouldn't that be great right now? Syria is imploding. It's melting down. It's in, engaged in a hellish civil war. Muslims against Muslims. They're slaughtering each other. A quarter of a million people have been, have been slaughtered 
quarter of a million. It's genocidal conditions. ISIS against Assad, Assad against ISIS, against uh, al-Nusra Front, against now the Russians and the Iranians have moved in to fight to protect Assad, the, the bloodthirsty tyrant of Damascus. It, it's, it's a disaster. And in the midst of that disaster, the, the apocalyptic Muslims believe, yes, this is what the prophecy said, that there'll be this horrific war in Syria and then we will establish our global Islamic kingdom starting in Iraq and Syria. But what they need to know about is the good news of the kingdom. Not the Islamic kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. We need the good news about Jesus to spread throughout all of Syria. In this day and age, in the first century, they, people brought to Jesus everyone who was ill, those who were suffering. There are people suffering in Syria today. We've got to reach them with the gospel. That, the, that, that Islam is not the answer. Jihad is not the way. The Islamic apocalyptic strategies of genocide are not what will bring them hope or forgiveness or eternal life, but Jesus Christ can, and he will. And we need to be engaged in that ministry. And we can't say, well, just a pox on all their house, just nuke them till they glow. No, that is not, that's not the gospel. Now, let me be clear, the distinction, our government's job is to keep us safe. Okay, so the government will have to use wisdom as they use force to protect us from this type of evil. At the same time, the church is not about killing, it's about preaching and teaching and serving and loving our neighbor and loving our enemy. We want the government to protect us from the enemy. At the same time, we need to be willing to lay down our lives and try to reach our enemy with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end shall come. That's the photographic negative, right, of apocalyptic Islam. They believe you need to commit genocide to kill all the infidels, kill anyone that stands in the way of the, of the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not killing all the people. You're trying to save as many people as possible, and then the kingdom will come. Now, let's be clear. The scriptures teach that the kingdom came when Jesus came, and yet the fullness of the kingdom has not yet come, right? We talk about the now and the not yet. The Bible speaks of this age and the age to come. So Jesus ushered in the kingdom spiritually, but the physical kingdom that the Jewish people expected is not going to come until Jesus returns the second coming and he sets up his kingdom on earth. This was hard for our team to understand and still is. Although more Jews and Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and are entering the kingdom than ever before. In John chapter 6 is an interesting verse. As I go there, let me just say, I feel like God has put so much on my heart to teach uh, in this month-long book tour uh, that I'm in the States for, and yet I can't get all the material that he has told me to say in a single message. 
especially with a voice like this. So over the next few weeks, I will be teaching at different churches and I'll be doing different portions of the overall message and hope that you will follow up. You can come to my blog, at my website, and we will be, you know, church by church, we'll be posting the video and the notes, including starting today, so uh, that you can track this stuff and, and begin to get the, the fuller picture, not only for yourself, uh, but for your family and your friends. In John chapter 6, verse 15, we have a very interesting verse. Jesus is preaching. He's teaching. He's doing miracles, and a crowd is following. I mean, he, he's attracting big crowds. You think Donald Trump's getting big crowds. Jesus was getting big, big crowds. 5,000 men turned out for a Bible study on the hillside. They were, it says it just records the men. There were also women and children there. But, you know, women and children generally speaking, showing up to study the Bible, that's normal. 5,000 men showing up at a Bible study, that's big news. That had to be written down forever and ever. So people start thinking, this is the guy. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the, this is the coming one. This is the Messiah. So verse 15 of chapter 6, Gospel of John. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Jesus had no intent of becoming a geopolitical king on his first coming. That's certainly what the Jews expected, and it makes sense. The Bible, the, the ancient Jewish prophecies don't give us an understanding of the mystery of the church age. It just doesn't. We, our team didn't see that, but Jesus explained it to us. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He began to explain what was happening. But remember, even the disciples thought it was a geopolitical kingdom, right? They were arguing over which cabinet position they were gonna get. Remember James and John? They're arguing, like, amongst themselves, and then they, then they enlist their mother to go and say, oh, Jesus, we've got to, oh, but John, he's such a sweet boy, and James, he's such a sweet boy. Look, you don't, don't you want him to be your foreign minister and your defense minister? They're so good. They're such good little Jewish boys. Oh. <laughs> and I don't think that Jesus necessarily said, give me a break. No, what he said was, that's what I would have said, but um, of course, my mom might have tried it too, but anyway, she's not Jewish, but she, I think she will prove out to be in the, in the end. But anyway, look, they thought it was a geopolitical kingdom. But Jesus was explaining to them, no, it's a spiritual kingdom now and a physical kingdom later. How do you enter this kingdom? Right? That's, that's John chapter 3, very famous. You all know it. Jesus says to a Jewish religious leader, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? How can I, how can I be born again? I, I, what? It doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to him. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay? You can't even see the kingdom in this age, unless you enter through Jesus. 
unless you receive Jesus and are adopted into the royal family. You can't enter the kingdom in this age and thus be entitled to be in it forever and ever unless you receive Jesus, unless you are adopted by Jesus, the king, into the royal family. And if you say yes to Christ, he will adopt you and you will be part of the royal family. Now, in a different message, later this month, I went at, a, at a different church, I will lay out what, is it, what are the blessings of being in the kingdom? What, is, what are we looking forward to? What, but we know the simple answer, the executive summary is salvation, forgiveness, hope, eternal life. But there's actually that and so much more by being part of the kingdom. So let's, so let's tie this together and see, see what we see here. So the, the similarities between Islamic apocalyptic eschatology and biblical eschatology are these. We both believe that the ancient prophecies in our holy books give us signs to watch for that indicate when the end of days have come. We, are both, we both believe that we are in fact living in the end of days. We both believe the Messiah is coming very soon. We both believe that the Messiah is the king and that he will establish a global kingdom and bring justice and righteousness to the earth. We both believe that. We both believe that we must live differently in view of the end of days because the final judgment is close at hand. Those are the similarities, but there are deep, deep differences. Apocalyptic Islam teaches that the Mahdi is the Messiah. We know it's Jesus Christ. Apocalyptic Islam teaches that Jesus does come. He comes back to earth, but he comes as the deputy to the Mahdi and requires all infidels to bow down and submit to their version of Islam or be executed. And we know that, that's, that nothing could be further from the truth. They believe that the Quran and the other writings and sayings and, of, of, of Muhammad and his disciples, known as the Hadith, that these are their holy books. We know that the Bible is the only inspired word of God. They believe in violent jihad to accomplish their ends. We believe in spiritual warfare because our battle is not with flesh and blood. They teach that you need to hate Jews and Israel to be part of their apocalyptic Islam. We know we're supposed to love Jews and Israel. They teach you need to kill your enemy. Christ teaches us that we need to love our enemy. They believe the final battles of history will take place in a place called Dabiq, D-A-B-I-Q. That's the Sunni version of Armageddon. Or the Shia version is Kufa. Uh, a place in Iraq. Uh, Dabiq is in Syria, Kufa is in Iraq, but we know the next to last battle in history before the battle for Jerusalem will actually take place in Megiddo in Israel. And I hope that, that Greg will take you to the Armageddon McDonald's. They have literally built a McDonald's right around the corner from Megiddo. I, I kid you not. <laughs> Somebody at, at McDonald's headquarters must have been saying, wait, you're saying the Bible prophecy, the book of Revelation, tells us that all the forces of the world will converge at one point 
Well, they're going to have to eat. <coughs> now, I don't know if they'll be loving it at that moment, but it's there, and I hope you will see it. We, take our, we don't take them for food, but we just slow down and say, I want you to see the Armageddon McDonald's. I'll tweet out something later today of me in front of it, just so you can see it, that it really exists. Anyway, look, the Messiah in apocalyptic Islam will reign from Mecca, they believe. But we know the Messiah will really be reigning from Jerusalem. Uh, apocalyptic Islam teaches people need to be converted or executed. Uh, the Bible teaches us that we need to urge people to be converted to Christ, but they have the freedom to make a decision for or against. In apocalyptic Islam, man builds the kingdom. We know from the Bible that Christ builds his kingdom. Uh, apocalyptic Islam teaches you have to commit genocide to hasten the coming of the kingdom. But we know from Matthew 24, 14, as I said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end shall come. We're not trying to kill as many people as possible. We're trying to save as many people as possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the end, we know that apocalyptic Islam is false prophecy and the Bible is the very word of God and that we can count on it. And the question for us is, do we understand the hope of the kingdom that we're in? Have we entered it by being born again? Have you entered the royal family? I hope that you have. Are you living in the light of the fact that the king is coming? The kingdom is coming? There's a kingdom of darkness trying to rob, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that he might bring life and that we might have it abundantly. And are you living in that abundant life? Are you engaged in preaching the gospel of the kingdom to all of your friends and all of your family and all of your coworkers, knowing that at any moment, a San Bernardino can happen, a Philadelphia can happen, a Paris can happen, and just regular old life is hard enough. Are you making sure they all have heard? Not to force someone to make a decision, but to give everyone a chance. Are you engaged in making sure all of Israel and Syria and Iraq and the whole region, Iran, has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what I want to be involved with. The novels are a way of doing that. And so is the ministry we run called the Joshua Fund to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus, to strengthen the church in the region to provide humanitarian relief to the refugees, to help the church preach the gospel. The moment is urgent. There is such darkness falling in the Middle East. It's true. But the light of the gospel is being proclaimed. And I would just note as we close that uh, yesterday we heard the wonderful news that an Iranian-American pastor by the name of Saeed Abedini has finally been released. And as I believe as we speak, he has cleared... Iranian airspace. This is a huge answer to prayer after three and a half years, but let me close with why that's significant. The Bible, Bible prophecy indicates in Jeremiah 49 and Ezekiel 38 and 39 that judgment is coming to Iran. Fire will fall from heaven, all kinds of destruction. God will judge these apocalyptic Muslims, their leaders. And we need to reach their country with the gospel before the judgment falls in the love your enemy directive from Jesus. But it's hard to get the gospel into the prisons where the most horrible rapists and murderers and terrorists are held. And so God chose a servant, frail and weak though he is, 
and sent him into a nightmare to preach the gospel. And I will just say that when I talked to Nagme a few months ago, she told me the story of how her husband keeps being beaten because he's sharing the gospel in these cells and people are coming to Christ. So they'll beat him and they'll move him to another cell, then to another prison, then to the worst prison. And they finally told him, if you preach the gospel one more time in that cell, they will kill you. Your inmates will kill you. So he spent the night in prayer, asking the Lord what to do. And when he woke up the next morning, several of them had had dreams and visions of Jesus Christ and wanted to know, what is that all about? This is the greatness of our great God. God will bring judgment, but he loves the people of Iran and ISIS and the region, and we need to be engaged in taking the gospel to every nation, even the dangerous nations. Every group, every people, every tongue, no matter what, so that when we stand before Christ face to face, we will hear from his lips, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Even with darkness, the light of the gospel is spreading. Show us our place. Give us a love for Muslims, even apocalyptic Muslims and radicals, to reach them with the gospel and the people that they're traumatizing and terrorizing. Show us how to love and and care for them and reach them with the gospel of the kingdom. And then we say, come Lord Jesus, rescue us out of this mess and establish your kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of our great king who's coming, we pray. The name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Thank you.